right, let's look at our scripture. It can be found on the inside, of, uh, excuse me, on page four. Page four, this is Hebrews 12, one through three. Hebrews 12, one through three. Next week, we're gonna be starting a new series on the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? That was Jesus' central message, wasn't it? The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. Well, we're gonna be talking about the kingdom of God and how it affects us. But uh, this one's kind of a, uh, a New Year's sermon, if you will. So this is Hebrews 12, one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The word of the Lord. Well, it's a new year, and it's time for some New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you're the sort of person that makes New Year's resolutions or not, but uh, now is the time to do so. Have you ever thought, why is it New Year's resolutions? Why not May resolutions or Boxing Day resolutions? Well, I think it has something to do with the fact that it's a new year. If you've noticed, our world runs in cycles. There's a beginning of the week and there's an end of the week. There's a beginning and an end of the month and there's a beginning and an end of the year. And the end of the year finishes with some vacation, hopefully some downtime, and then it's time, the clock resets again and we're off to the race. We're off running, so to speak. And so it's a great opportunity to set some resolutions before you head off into the race. The world has a, def, uh, how they define the race of the world is uh, commonly referred to as the rat race. I don't know if you're involved in the rat race or not, but somebody summed up the rat race like this. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must outrun the fastest lion or it will be killed. Every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. It doesn't matter whether you're the lion or the gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better be running. That's a good description of the rat race. It's a race of survival, right? But this race is different than the race that's being talked about in the scriptures here. The Christian race. Unlike the rat race, which is a race for survival, the Christian race is a race for glory. Unlike the rat race, which is pursued by sight, the Christian race is a race of faith. Unlike the rat race, which is a race in which we set our own path to a destination that we have in our mind that we created, the Christian race is a race that's marked out for us with one who's run ahead of us. Our life is a race. Christianity clearly communicates that in the Bible, but the question we have before us is how do we run a good race? How do we not settle for running the race of the world? So when we look back upon our lives, we can say, well, we made a living, but we didn't really make a life. The answer is we need to run a race of faith. 
looking to the race that God has for us and looking to Him for the strength to run it. For a race run for self by the power of self leads only to mediocrity. But a race run for God by the power of Christ leads to glory. So we're going to talk about how we run a good race as we set off on this new year. To run a good race, we need to do three things. Number one, we need to look to the past for encouragement from those who have run before us. Number two, we need to look to the present for focus on the race that we have to run individually. And finally, number three, we need to look to the person who gives us the power to run a good race, the person of Jesus Christ. Because we're called to run a different race, fueled by a different power for a different finish line. Well, let's begin with point number one. We need to look to the past for encouragement. The scriptures, this passage leads off with this thought. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, this should be encouraging to us because it tells us that we're not the only ones in this race. Sometimes you can feel like you're all alone in this Christian race, but no, there are those that have come before us. In fact, they surround us, this cloud of witnesses. The word witness in the Greek, martyrion, is from where we get the word martyr. A martyr is a witness. There are some that lost their life in the past living for Christ, but everyone who gets into this grace must die to self to live to Christ. And so the people who have come before us are the martyrs of the faith, the witnesses. And the scripture says here that they surround us. Now what does that mean? Does it mean that they're actually actively looking upon us, cheering uh, us on on this race of faith? I really don't know the answer to that. I think more it's an analogy to describe an athletic participation where we're in the stadium getting ready to run a race. And those who are filling the stands, if you will, cheering are those who have witnessed with their life before. They're there to witness. Um, they, their life demonstrates and witnesses to us the race. Hebrews 11 has been called the hall, uh, hall of Faith, and there's a description of those who have come before us in this race. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by the resurrection. We hear of these giants of faith, and we've heard of them perhaps since we were children, and we tend to put them on a pedestal. But they were human beings just like us, living out their lives when God called them into the race of faith. They were frail like us. They had doubts like us. They were vulnerable like us. But they ran the race. They embraced God's plan by faith. They experienced the same crisis of faith that we experience. None of them were looking to be put into the hall of faith. And at some point, they too experienced a crisis of belief. Do I turn away or do I turn into? 
Do I live a life of self or do I live for God? There were no guarantees of safety for them. No guarantees of how this all was going to turn out in terms of on this planet. And yet they ran. They embraced God's plan and they embraced God's power. The scriptures say they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They had these great victories. We think of David with Goliath. But there also was another side to these people in the hall of faith, right? Not all achieved victory in the earthly sense. Verse 35 goes on to say that some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. We all know Jeremiah who preached destruction, the destruction that was coming. In his entire life of preaching, there were only two converts. And the history tells us that he was stoned to death. What about Isaiah who had the unpleasant task of calling out Judah for its wickedness, who was sawn in two, sawn in two? Were these any less faithful than those who achieved earthly victories? Did they have any less power? Verse 39 tells us, no, that all of them were commended for their faith. See, they had the temptation to run the race of self as we do. To look to our own comfort above all. To look to our recognition above anyone else. To live a long and happy and comfortable life. But instead they chose to run the race of God that had a different finish line. They were tortured, refusing to accept release so some might rise to a better life. A different finish line. A different inheritance. I think the reason the world was not worthy of them was that they were not living for this world. They were living for a different one. And so with that backdrop, it comes to us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, there's a race that is set before you and a race that is set before me. And in each sense, it's individualistic. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. For don't you know that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word workmanship in the Greek actually is the word poema, from where we get the word poetry. You are God's poem, if you will. That God has designed and created you to sing your own song, if you will, to live your own life. Psalm 139 puts it this way, that all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We have our own race to run that is set before us. We are of our own crisis of faith. Will we choose the life of safety and comfort or the life of faith in Jesus Christ? I, uh, one of the uh, 
New Year's resolutions that one of my uh, kids came to me and said is <clears throat> he has a resolution to read a certain number of books a year. He says, I'm not reading enough. I need to read more. And uh, so I was looking through and I pulled off some books on my bookshelves that I would encourage you uh, to look at. And some of these are from witnesses who have come before us. Maybe you've heard of this one, Hudson Taylor. Maybe William Borden, a life dedicated to the gospel. William Wilberforce, Amazing Grace, is another great one. George Muller of Bristol. This is a great one. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and on the blogs on our, on our homepage, I'm going to go ahead and make a list of heroes and heroines of the faith uh, that you may look at. But I wanted to talk about this one in particular, probably my favorite hero of the faith, Eric Little. If you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, you know about Eric Little. Born the uh, child of Scottish missionary parents, he was incredibly fast, and so he qualified for the Olympics in the 100 meter dash. But there was only one problem. He was a strict Sabbatarian. And the qualifying heats for the 100 were on Sunday. And so he refused to run and, and uh, had the derision of the papers all upon him for refusing to do so. But instead, he ran the 400 meter dash because it didn't conflict with Sunday, a race that he was marginal at at best, and took two seconds off of his time and won the gold medal and set a world record that would stand for 12 years. Eric Little was a, a Scottish missionary who ran this race. And amidst all the adulation of the crowds of Scotland, of, of the improbableness of his success, Little went on and left Scotland to become a missionary in China and live in relative obscurity until he died in a uh, Japanese internment camp during World War II. And as he lived his life of faith, he could, have, he could have received all of the trappings. He could have basked in his success. But Little had a race to run. And the race that he ran in the 400-meter dash was not for recognition, but for God. As he says in that famous movie, Chariots of Fire, I believe that God made me for a purpose, which is China, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Eric was running a different race, a race of faith that led to a finish line, dying in an imprisonment in an internment camp in China. He was a witness for us. And one day we will be a witness for those who come after us, provided that Christ doesn't come in our lifetime. Have you recognized that God is calling you to run a different race than the world. A race not of sight, but a race of faith and faithfulness. So where is your finish line? When I blank, then I will have run a good race. Put what you want in the blank. When my children are successful and living good, independent lives and they're healthy, then I will have run a good race. But what happens when your children get cancer? What happens if they have a learning disability and can't go to the best colleges? What happens when they start dating a punk rocker in a death metal band? What happens if they are the punk rocker in the death metal band? 
No, we can't put our children and their health and success as the benchmark of running a good race because we'll settle. Whatever you put in your blank, if it's not for the glory of God, for Jesus Christ, you'll settle. The race that we want to run leads to our comfort, but the race God wants us to run leads to our glory. So here's what we must do. We must embrace the race that is marked out for us. It has a different finish line. The finish line is simply to finish. Still being faithful to God, trusting in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. We must evaluate our race by different standards. Not by what the world says, but rather what our Heavenly Father says. We must entrust the judgment of our race not to the world, not to our friends, not even to our family, but to the judge who is seated above in the heavenly realms. Is this easy? No. But Christ is with us. And when we choose to run a different race by faith, we have a different power by faith. Well, this brings me to my second point, that we must look not only to the past, to those who have run before, but to the present so that we can focus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us. Where does this race lead us? I don't know. I'm sort of glad that God doesn't show me where this race leads me because probably I wouldn't run it. But I know who God is calling me to be. And I know what God is calling me to do today. And God is calling me to run with the same intensity as those before. Let us also run with perseverance this race. The word race, by the way, is the word in Greek, agon from where we get the word agony. This is not a sprint race that he's referring to. It's a race of endurance. It's a marathon race that takes the length of our entire life. And he gives us instructions that we must lay aside everything that hinders. In the Greek, literally, the translation is every excess weight. You know, the old uh, in the ancient uh, Olympics, when they would run, they would remove their clothes. Have you ever tried to run a marathon in a toga? It ain't easy, let me tell you. No, they would run naked. Why? Because they were stripping off anything that would hinder. If you've ever tried to run a marathon in a cotton t-shirt, it gets uncomfortable, okay? Because the sweat pools and gathers and all of a sudden you're wearing something that weighs a pound. No, you have to remove the excess weight. Now, some of these things in our life that we're holding on to are not necessarily bad in themselves, but they are bad if you evaluate them in light of the race because we have to focus on the race. So what are things that might be hindering you that you need to lay aside? Is the group of friends that you hang with are they running in the same direction as you? Or are they running in an entirely different direction? They may need to 
change in terms of the friends that you have or the weight that you put upon them if they're slowing you down? Is your reputation so important to you that you refuse to take a risk for Christ? You refuse to step out of your comfort zone because of what your friends would say. In light of the race, it has to go. Is your internet connection getting in the way of your Christian walk? It is so astoundingly simple to fritter away your entire life on things that have no import. And you lift up your head and the entire day is gone. May not be a bad thing that you're even looking at. But let us lay aside everything that it hinders. Everything must go in light of the race. Let us lay aside everything that hinders and the sin which clings so closely. Notice it trips us up, this thing's sin. There are things that aren't bad that need to go, but there are things that certainly need to go, and one of them is sin. What exactly is sin? It's anything that's contrary to God's word. See, the beauty of this whole thing is that God has given us a training manual in which to run this race. It's given us instructions on how we are to run. Because how we run the race is the finish line. As hard as that is to understand, in a normal race, you're trying to get to a finish line. But how we run the race is the finish line. Every moment being faithful, because in the end, the only thing that matters is who is Jesus Christ to me now? If he's still my Lord and Savior, I'm running a good race. The training manual tells us to God be faithful, but sin tells us to be faithless. God in his training manual says honor the Lord, but sin says honor yourself. Sin is like pouring sugar into your gas tank before you drive a race. See, the truth is if you want to run God's race, you have to do it in God's way. Some of us may be saying, I want to run God's race, but I want to do it in my way, on my terms, at my convenience. And so we don't take sin seriously. I don't know if you've tried to run a race with ankle chains around you, but that dog ain't going to hunt. That's what sin is like with us. What the scripture is saying is you're going to have to learn, if you want to run this race, to travel light. Because it's an agony along the way. To put all of your hopes and your dreams on God. If your dream is to live in this particular house, in this particular community, with this particular set of friends, I don't know about you, but it's impossible to carry a four-bedroom house on your back when you're running a race of faith. But I can give my hopes and dreams to God for safekeeping. For all that I've given to God, he always takes care of. God says, I will be your house. I will be your popularity. I will be your reward. And I will be your life. For I am the goal and I am the means. I've had the opportunity to run five marathons in my life, probably six or seven half marathons. And it's a very, very interesting sight at the start of a marathon. These are people who have trained 20, 30 weeks running 50 or 60 miles a week. And it finally comes down to showtime. 
I think in particular of the Marine Corps Marathon, which starts over uh, by the Iwo Jima Memorial. And it's kind of, uh, I've run it when it's hot and I've run it when it's cold. And what happens is um, uh, people have drank so much and they're on the line and they have to go to the bathroom. But there's nowhere to go to the bathroom. So what happens? They just go to the bathroom there. They just pee right there. Literally guys just on the side of the road peeing right there. Well, what are women going to do? They bring along trash cans, uh, trash, trash cans, trash bags. And they cut out the bottom of the trash bag. And they literally will stand in the trash bag and they will go ahead and pee before they run. It's ridiculous. It's horrible. But anyone who's running the race doesn't give it a second thought. Because they're staring down three to five hours of running 26 miles. And everything goes out the window because everything is to be evaluated in light of the race. And you're wearing clothes because it's cold, but there's no way that you can wear them when you run. So right before the gun goes off, everybody's taking off stuff. If you want to find clothes, hang out at the starting line of a marathon. Because literally there will be tons of clothes. Because people have shed their clothes. They're running the race with focus, and so they've gotten serious. And if we want to run the race of faith, we have to get serious too. There's a lot of people at a marathon. There's really two different types of people at a marathon. There's the participant and the spectator. It's very easy to tell the difference between the two because the spectator's got on jeans and a sweatshirt and is, has a hot dog and, and their beer in their hand. While the other person looks like they're wearing tights or something like that. They're wearing nothing. The spectator is having a lot of fun, but in the end, the spectator is missing out on the agony and ecstasy of the race. We can confuse Christianity with spectating and running a race. My Christianity is a hobby. I do it on Sunday. I practice it when it's convenient for me. But Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I'll follow you, O Lord, as long as I'm well respected. See, you have to get light. So what's got to go in your life? I'll follow you, Lord, as long as I'm well thought of. I'll follow you as long as it doesn't infringe on my time too much. Maybe there's some baggage that you've picked up along the way that you've got to let go of. I have bitterness in my life, and I carry it around, and it weighs me down, and it keeps me from following you. I don't know what it is. Maybe it would do you well to take some time to examine your backpack. What do I have in it? And what is it that it's weighing me down? What's got to go? And what is the sin that so easily entangles me? What keeps tripping me up? I've got to fling it off. Is it greed? Is it anger? Is it sexual sin? You've got to fling it off because a race run for self by the power of self leads to mediocrity. 
But a race run for God by the power of Christ leads to glory. You and I are called to run a different race by a different power headed for a different finish line. Well, this brings me to my final point, that we must look not only to the past, we must look not only to our present, but we must look to the person who gives us the power to run a good race. Verse 2 sums it up. To do all of these things looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and, sit, and is seated at the right hand of God. And the finish line seems so far away when you look at it. But we can look at the one who's run before us, who is with us, the one who put us on this race in the first place. It says that he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. See, the beauty of Jesus Christ is he's not the one that simply gives us advice, some tips on running a better race, like those gurus in the running magazines. No, he ran before us. He had a race that God gave him, did he not? To come to earth, to live a perfect life, and to die as a substitute for his people, for all who call upon his name. And so it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is this joy that was set before him? It was you and me being liberated to come into relationship with him and the Father. And so he endured the agony, scorning the shame of those who mocked him and spit upon him and laughed at him as he hung naked on the cross. His sacrifice of perfection was accepted and now he's seated at the right hand of heaven as the king. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So where does the power come from for you and me? Not simply from his example. Because the truth of the matter is save for Christ and his Holy Spirit in our lives will all fail. We'll never make it. But with him, we can run the race and we can succeed because my race is in him. He is the founder of our faith. This word founder in the Greek, archegos, actually a better translation of it would be champion. He is the champion of our faith. In the ancient days, when two armies didn't want to fight a battle, they would send out a champion, a representative of the army, and they would fight on behalf of the army. And if they won, if that champion won, the army by extension would win. Jesus is the champion who has fought already on our behalf and run the race. We simply run in his wake. In Hebrews 11, it lists all of these people in the hall of faith. But when you stop and think about some of these people, some of them were major screw-ups. Jephthah, who sacrificed his, da his daughter. How about David? King David, the man after God's own heart, who was also an adulterer and a murderer. I don't know if we have any murderers in the congregation. We might. What about Samson, who frittered away his strength again and again, wasting it on women? And yet at the very end, 
trusted in Christ. None of them would make it. But they had the sense to understand that they could not. You know, there's only two types of people in this world. Those who are screw-ups and those who know they're screw-ups. So which are you? The only way that you get to heaven is on your knees. And the only way you get to heaven is on the back of your champion who carries us over the finish line. When I made a decision to try to run and qualify for Boston, I ran once the Marine Corps and I failed miserably. I realized that if I was going to qualify for Boston, which there is a certain time period you have to do, I would not be able to run this race alone. And so I called up two of my friends, Roger and JT. And uh, uh, the, the marathon that's here, um, what's the marathon? The Shamrock allowed uh, you to run also a, a partner marathon. And so Roger and JT agreed to run with me. One would run the first, play, uh, first 13 and the other would run the second. Roger ran the first and I was running a good race. And then JT stepped in. And all was looking well until about mile 19. And mile 19 was quitting time for Carlos. The wall was looming very, very large. I was tired, and the sidewalk was looking oh so attractive. It was time to sit down. But JT was at my side. And JT actually started running right ahead of me. And JT would do something as he was running. He would point right here. He, he pointed, he'd say, right here, right here. And I kept my eyes on JT's finger because JT drew me to his side. And I was exhausted, but JT was not. I was discouraged, but JT was encouraging. I wanted to quit, but JT wouldn't let me. Are you tiring? in your race of faith, look to Jesus. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Are you lost? Look to Jesus. He's already run the race. He knows the way home. Are you unloved? Jesus loves you. For the joy of you set before him, he endured the agony of the cross, scorning its shame. Do you feel alone? Jesus will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. Unto the end of the age. If you are a Christian, and maybe it's time for you to come home to Christ today, as it was for me when I heard the gospel at age 18, you're called to run a different race, fueled by a different power, and you're headed for a different finish line. Don't run the race of the world because the race for self by the power of self leads only to heartbreak. But a race run for God by the power of God ultimately leads to glory. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as this new year begins, let us look to Jesus, the champion of our faith, who has ran before us and finished already let us run in his wake, strapped to his back, eyes focused on his hand, that we will not quit, that we will not give up because you will not let us. 
pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.